How are your dreams, hopes, and aspirations? Is your life going the way you hoped it would or thought it should go? Where is God in the midst of your trials and concerns? Is there joy in the morning for you, or have you lost the capacity to dream, to have a vision for the future? Stay with us as we discuss what God gives us and wants for us, even when we feel defeated and so broken we've lost the capacity to dream. We'll be talking with the author who wrote, I dare you to dream his story for you. It will be a good one. Welcome to Hill Country Institute Live, the program that brings you in touch with Christian leaders, authors, and visionaries who are addressing issues of vital concern to followers of Jesus Christ. I'm Larry Leninschmidt, Executive Director of the Hill Country Institute and host of this program. We invite you to listen to previous programs on our podcast, Hill Country Institute Live, and be sure and add live to Hill Country Institute to find the podcast. We also invite you to visit our website, hillcountryinstitute.org, for audio and video from our conferences on faith and culture topics, including the works of C.S. Lewis and Friends, Creation Care, and Vocation. As a faith-based ministry, our programs and ongoing ministry are supported by donations. We ask you to prayerfully consider a donation to the Hill Country Institute to support our mission of equipping the body of Christ to take every thought captive and honor our Lord in every aspect of our lives. You can donate through our website, hillcountryinstitute.org, or by calling 512-680-7993. That's 512-680-7993. As Christians, we live a life of hope based on our belief in Jesus Christ, the the crucified and risen Savior. But do we have hope in the day-to-day reality we live in, or just hope that in the sweet by-and-by we'll be with Him and all will be well? Emily Jansen, our featured guest today, has reflected on dreams, hopes, and aspirations, as some of her most cherished dreams have not been realized. And yet, she has found a wilder Eden, a place where God's plans for you may not be what you envisioned, but are offered to you in unique and wonderful ways, custom designed just for you, not one size fits all. In her book, A Wilder Eden, How to Keep Dreaming in a World of Disappointment, Emily Jansen encourages us to acknowledge the dreams which have not worked out, to step into our own identity and uniqueness as a beloved child of God, and to step in a new place, a place of yieldedness to God, a place she calls a wilder Eden. Emily and I fellowship with the community at Christ Church Austin, and a recommendation of the book by our rector, our pastor, Dr. Cliff Warner, the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and love, are the foundations of how we relate to God. While many books explore the dynamics of faith and hope, too few explore hope, the engine of the heart. Emily fills this gap with personal reflections on the possibility of renewing and recentering our hope in the unfailing goodness of God. Emily Jansen is an author, marketing, branding, and communications professional, and a global citizen at heart. She's lived and worked in the D.C. area and in Northern California and resides in Austin, Texas. Emily formerly lived in Kenya and Korea on volunteer and professional assignments. She's passionate about empowering women to embrace their stories with charisma, courage, and confidence. She's a lifelong learner, earning her B.A. in communications from the University of Maryland and an M.S. in marketing from Johns Hopkins. 
She's been a student of classical piano for more than 20 years. Emily loves to write poetry, sing with her church worship team, play and teach piano, compete in triathlons, travel, cook, and be Auntie Emmy to many children. Emily is the founder and owner of the Emily Jacob Agency, which provides marketing, branding, and communications consultant to clients across nonprofit and for-profit sectors. Emily sits on the board of She Saves a Nation, a nonprofit that supports marginalized young women in East Africa. One day, she hopes to start her own Series B corporation in fitness philanthropy. And you can reach Emily online at emilyjjansen.com. So, Emily, you're an active, adventurous person. I'm glad we could get time to get you here. Thank you for joining us. You are welcome, Larry. It's great to be here. Thank you. Well, you know, Emily, since, uh, since I first heard you talk about uh, your book and then uh, began reading it, uh, I've really been excited about our conversation. It's, it's such an important book and such an important topic, so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into it. But you, you've got such a varied background. You were a resident assistant in Kenya. You compete in triathlons. You've written poetry. Uh, you develop, implement, and, and marketing and, and branding plans uh, for both private sector and nonprofits. And now you've authored an amazing book, and that book ties together your experiences, your heart, scripture, hope, uh, so many things. So how would we understand it, kind of a unifying thread that maybe helps us to understand your diverse and fascinating life? <laughs> well, I, I suppose it just is that I can't sit still. Um, that's what my mother would say. I, uh, I started walking at eight months, so I suppose I had a lot to do in this life from an early age. But um, no, joking aside, I think I think it's it's this healthy discontent, right? It's this feeling of of the world is a big place, God is a big God. And when I was quite young, I, I really wanted to move beyond my small town life and really just enter into that that you know stewardship of being a citizen of God's kingdom, whether it was local or global and you know, so much of, of my passion is just this curious, um, this, just this curiosity of, well, what else, what else, what else is there? And, you know, sometimes that gets me in trouble, but I would say it's, it's this healthy discontent and desire to, to partner with God in really amazing things. And, and just knowing that life is short and time is um, of the essence. I think in COVID we realized that time is precious and yes. that there's this this urgency that we should be living with in a healthy way. So that's probably a lot of it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think curiosity is, is just part of the image of God is in us because he's He's all-knowing and, and for us to want to learn is, is, I think, a reflection of his image in us. You know, a book, a book is a big undertaking. Uh, especially one that shares so much of yourself and is just bathed, literally uh, bathed in scripture. Uh, how did the idea for a wilder Eden come into your life? Yeah. So about, I would say about five years ago is, is around 2017. I realized that I had all of this writing that I had been doing. A lot of it was <clears throat> emails to friends and I created an email list of, of people I would send out devotionals to and thoughts and concepts around books and quotes and it started to percolate and I had all of this this sort of varied puzzle pieces and kept thinking you know I would really love to put this all together and then you know around the time of of my 30th birthday this was a few years prior to that 
I really had this, uh, shall we say, light bulb moment where I realized my life has not turned out the way that I thought. And I was in church one day and a guy that I had gone to high school with walked up to me and we were chit-chatting and just catching up on life. And he looked down at my left hand and he said, no one's put a ring on it yet. And it was a joke, but, but in that moment, I felt a lot of shame for the fact that I was still single. And I remember thinking, you know, this is a really pivotal moment for me. And I really feel like I need to decide how I feel about this. And so, right, you know, around that time I had been thinking maybe I would write a book on singleness and then it all sort of percolated into this, this notion that we all have dreams. We all have broken dreams. Singleness might be one of them, but it's, it's Mm -hmm. certainly not the only one and it's not any more painful or, um, you know, less important or more important than other people's broken dreams. And so in COVID it all came together because I was, building my manuscript. And and I thought, well, surely COVID now gives even more reason um, as we watched all of our dreams kind of sit on the shelf. Yeah. Yeah. Sitting on the shelf. Well, that's uh, I think that's the way we all felt during COVID. So you your your real life, your 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 own circumstances. How did how did that really help you embody your book and make it real for your readers? Well, I like I like to joke that I think maybe there was a there was a moment in time where I thought, okay, well, when I have arrived in life, mm. I will write this book. And when I arrive and I get married and I have my family and all my dreams come true, then maybe I'll be seasoned enough in life to to write this book. And one day I just kind of woke up and thought, you know, that doesn't make sense. Why would I write a book from a place of arrival? And that does not feel um, relatable to my readers and my perspective, my, my perspective audiences. What would it look like for me to really pour out my heart into this book and share very vulnerably the places of pain that have caused me heartache and that have caused disappointments in my life? So I would say, generally speaking, even though writing this book from a place of weakness felt really hard at times, and bearing my soul to the world, I also think that it, it gave me a voice to be really relatable to people. And, and, and that's what I would say is, is so amazing is, you know, whether it's singleness or losing my job earlier this year or being backstabbed in the professional environment or um, not being able to buy a house yet. Like I have a lot of dreams and I'm not, I'm not, you know, thinking that they're not going to come true someday, but right now they're not true. And so I just want to journey with my readers and hold their hand and say, look, I see your dreams. I see your heartache. I see your disappointment. And we're, we're in this together. This is not me speaking uh, 10,000 feet above you. This is me walking in the wilderness with you. Yeah. Well, if you're if you're the unique person that hasn't had dreams broken, then uh, listen to what Emily has to say and read the book so you can help the rest of us. Maybe that's <laughs> I think that might be one way of looking at it, because it's such a common part of our of our lives. The The book has three sections. And these are this is my paraphrase of what if my dream died? What if I don't have a dream? And how do I flourish in surprising places? Each of those sections has separate chapters. 
and there are there are 40 different chapters and and to me that looks like each chapter is is worth reading through reading the supporting materials that Emily has on on her website and really praying through because each little piece adds up to make a great whole so we're going to highlight a few chapters we're going to give some key ideas so that you'll have an overview so you can dig deeper into this book and work on your own hurts and dreams uh, as you can uh, but Emily, I, I, I love the way that you've added additional materials onto your site. You, you've referenced C.S. Lewis's Till We Have Faces. You've written poetry. You've tied scripture in. Uh, there's, there's so much there. Uh, in, the, in the first section, you talk about our dreams that haven't come true. For whatever reason, however you look at it, lost forever or deferred. But how do we get in touch with those places of disappointment in our own lives? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I want to acknowledge for those listening that, you know, I, I like to say there's sort of three categories um, of a broken dream. There's the dream that you've held that is now long, no longer in your hands. It's a held dream that's gone. Two, it's a dream that you've never held that you've been waiting for for a really long time. Or three, it's just a dream that's sort of been delayed and detoured and deferred. Maybe you're starting a business or Maybe you're trying to, to build a startup and there's just all this pivoting that's happening. And mm-hmm. it, it's just taking down a windy road of like, yeah, I'm still cultivating this dream, but I feel a lot of disappointment around it or brokenness just because it's requiring so many pivots and um, deferrals. And so maybe you put it on hold and then you re-kick started it back up. So we all just have these different places. Um, you know, for me, a lot of my experience personally in my life has been around dreams that I've never held, um, specifically marriage and family. Um, and so, you know, this is where I started and this is just kind of my recommendation. Um, you know, how do we get in touch with those places of disappointment? Lament it, grieve what you've lost or held or never held. You know, I think so much of the, the sort of the tricky part of dreams is that they're so personal and they carry so much weight personally. And there's a chapter in the first section that says it was just a dream. Um, And I use sort of this metaphor of of waking up from a bad dream or a good dream, right? And if it's a bad dream, you're like, oh, it's just a dream. And if it's a really, really good dream, you're like, oh man, it was just a dream. Like, I I wish that that was really happening. Um, And I think what's so important about that concept is is realizing the the weight and worthiness of your dream. It wasn't just a dream, you know, it was your dream and and it died or it hasn't happened yet. And, and that's okay to grieve that. And to say to other people, I am grieving the loss of, of this thing or this person, um, the death of something that may never be able to happen again. Um, you know, I have friends just candidly walking through the reality that um, they may never be able to have children. And, and that's really painful. It's really painful to grieve for something that you have desired and hoped for for so many years. And you're facing the medical news and reality that, that you can't have children or that um, there's a very slight chance that you ever will be able to get pregnant. And so I think that it's important to realize that your dream carries so much um, worth and value to God. And it's okay to tell God that you're angry. It's okay to say to God, 
and to your friends and family, I am, I am sincerely grieving the loss of this. And, and I don't know if it's ever going to happen. And for me, that was acknowledging, wow, there is a chance that I may never get married. And that's really hard for me. Am I okay with that? Am I okay with the fact that this may never happen? Um, and And I don't know all the answers behind that, because I think for each person, you know, we continue to, to grieve with hope. Um, but I really love what Marilyn Robinson says in, in this book, Gilead. She goes, deferred hope is still hope. Um, and so even in the midst of loss and waiting, I, I think we can say with faith, deferred hope is still hope. Um, and so, and, and then the, the second thing beyond lamenting, I, I think is also just realizing that um, at the end of ourselves, is the beginning of God is the beginning of himself. And, you know, you look at the story of the gospel and it's, it's not life after life. It's, it's life after death. And I think that in the same way that we, we as Christians um, walk in both the death and resurrection of Christ, we have to realize that, you know, that we, that we die with Christ and we share in the sufferings of Christ and in his resurrection, we do experience the rebirth of hope. And so um, sometimes just coming to the end of ourselves is really hard. It's really hard to surrender and say, I'm at the end of myself and I'm at, I am at rock bottom. Um, but I think from rock bottom comes the ability to, to look up and, to, uh, and to, to take the rope that God is offering us. Yeah. Well, you, you, you write about... Um... We will shrivel up and die in the wilderness if we do not develop new dreams. So how do we how do we move on from what you know you refer to as the wilderness? I think that's a great metaphor. Uh, but how do we move out of wilderness into a new and fresh appreciation of dreams and a new dream? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, a lot of this perspective came came out of this notion of the Israelites. So if you're listening, and you know, there's 40 chapters in my book. It's this concept that uh, you're in the wilderness and you're in the desert and you can't go back to Egypt. Um, you can't go back to the Garden of Eden. You are in a wilder Eden. And this wilder Eden is a place that is foreign and potentially could be very long and you don't know how you're gonna, long you're going to be there. And you're trying to figure out all your resources and conserving water and manna and daily bread and and sort of you're, you're thinking to yourself, okay, how long am I going to be here? It's like a survival kit. And, and I think that actually that's the point is that God often takes us into the wilderness, um, not because he's going to abandon us or leave us to shrivel up and die, um, but to really realize that he, he's going to show up and be a provider and he's going to walk with us in the wilderness um, and so I think a lot of, a lot of learning how to, to not shrivel up and die is, is to cry out and acknowledge that in our weakness, he is strong and, um, that there's not going to probably be a specific timeline that God's going to give you on when exactly you're going to get out of your wilderness. I, if I had looked back on my life and, and let's say when I was 22, God had said to me, you're going to be in this, this wilderness of singleness for X number of years, 
I probably would have run away and said, you know, forget this. I'm going to do this on my own. Um, but God has kept me in a place of daily dependence. And so, you know, if you want, if you want to do it alone, you're probably not going to get very far, <laughs> unfortunately. And, and so I think just acknowledging that you need God and you need others and um, God's never going to forsake you. He will never leave you there. He's never going to uh, abandon you in the wilderness, but he does ask us to, to walk with him and to be dependent. Yes. And yeah, things, things can be confusing at times. And in the book, you, you developed one chapter around the heaviness of the weather in Korea where you, where you, you were working and how it wouldn't lift and the heat just drug on. And so how do, how do we relate to that feeling in what you call, and this is an amazing phrase, a thick cloud of claustrophobic overwhelm? Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember writing that sentence, but apparently that, that paragraph or that phrase stuck out. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really hot summer. The summer I lived in Korea, it was 2018, and it was just so hot, Larry. It was like, you just wanted to wilt and, you know, no matter how many times you watered your soul and watered yourself, it just, it just was hot and foggy and thick and the air was thick. And I remember writing that chapter on a hot summer day and I just was in a fog, right? A mental fog, a spiritual fog. Maybe you're listening. You're in an emotional fog. You're in a job fog. You are, in a newborn baby fog, you are in a position where you're just um, in a fog of singleness and you just feel like you can't even find yourself and you don't really know where God is in it. And you actually don't, you don't really have a sense of where you are in it. And um, I like to say in this chapter that the good news is um, that you are moving, you're moving through, right? When I, the Bible says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. I love that phrase. Um, because God doesn't say when you get stuck in the fire <laughs> or when you get stuck in the flood. No, he says you're moving through. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the fog, I will be with you. Um, and so the thick cloud of claustrophobic overwhelm is, is really just this feeling of like, I'm in a fog. I feel really stuck. Maybe this is more right after the death of a dream. Perhaps it's right after your divorce. Perhaps it's right after miscarriage or um, a season of depression. Um, even the COVID fog, right? They talk about the COVID brain fog. It's just this feeling of like, I, I can't focus or understand where I am right now. So, you know, I think when we're in moments like that, we keep moving and we trust that we are going to get through it. Um, and, and I like to say in this chapter that we soften and, what I mean by this is it's really actually counterintuitive. We don't naturally want to soften into our own weakness and boil down and, and kind of soften into our humility and places of dependence. We don't like to soften into the unknowns. We, we want to buck up and press in and, yes. you know, do more and figure it out. And everything in our culture says, you know, do more and, you know, be strong and just do it. And, you know, you, you, you've got this and, you know, get what's yours. And I think that that's actually wrong. I don't think that that's always the way to sift through the fog. I think sometimes we 
God, God wants us to be that clay in his hands. And if we're not pliable and moldable and shapeable, we're just going to emerge out of these seasons almost tougher and harder. And, and I think that if we're willing to be pliable and moldable, we actually break down into something even more beautiful. So, um, you know, it, we have to practice the art of kindness and grace towards ourselves. I think sometimes it's just realizing, you know what, I'm just going to continue. I'm just going to keep walking. I'm just going to keep moving. And I know that the fog is going to lift. I just came out of a season of a really intense fog. I lost my job in January. I had a broken toe. I got COVID. I had two car accidents. My rent went up. My boyfriend and I broke up, you know, just one thing after another and, you know, almost getting a couple jobs and being runner up. So it was just this constant fog of like, what's happening and Mm -hmm. where am I going and what, what is God doing? And what, who am I supposed to be? I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to be. And the, the best part about those times and seasons is that it's okay to sit still and it's okay to just sit in that margin in that space and take a breath and say, you know what? I don't need to figure it out today. It's okay to pause. It's okay to wait. It's okay to pray. It's okay to rest and just know that the fog is going to lift, but it's not entirely up to me to do that. Yes. Well, and I I really appreciate you putting 2 Corinthians 4 as as the additional material for this chapter. And 4.16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. And I think that's, that's the kind of assurance that we have of, of what you're saying, that God's, God's working in us. And mm-hmm. if we're pliable, he'll make us something, something special. I think if we stand up and beat our chest and say, I got this, well, it's gonna, maybe he's got something stronger, foggier, that he will ultimately <laughs> use to, <laughs> true. To, to bring us around. Well, in section two, you address the question, what if we don't have a dream? Or we've simply lost so many dreams that the capacity to dream and even hope itself has left us. So how can broken dreams unlock new dreams? Yeah, well, I'm still figuring this out. <laughs> so, <laughs> fair warning, I'm right there with you. Well, um, this is a problem so for I, people that don't have everything put together. So, you know, if we're looking for yeah. answers, then then I think that's great. We can do it together. Right. So, okay. So section two of the book is, I think, such a a wonderful time to return to, as I say it, who you are and whose you are. And this is, I think, where it can get really fun. So imagine you're a kid on Christmas morning and you're just so excited because you're you're excited about something you're going to get. And um, and there's these moments and I think there's these really interesting moments in our lives where we just feel so divinely connected to who we are mm-hmm. and who, who we are meant to be in this world. And I like to ask the question, what makes your soul sing? What makes you feel like a kid on Christmas morning? What makes you feel most connected to, to who God has made you to be in this world? Sometimes those moments are very subtle. And this section is not about, you know, self-discovery and self-help and just, you know, kind of coming back to this notion of um, you can be anything you want to be. No, that's not what this is about. This is about understanding that you are fully known and loved no matter what you do and no matter who you are. 
you are fully loved, whether you're single, divorced, or married. You're fully loved and known even in your emotions. Um, you know, I'm a very emotional person. And I think for some people, it's harder to express their emotions than others. Yeah. But I think in, in those quiet places of the soul where you're alone with God, it's yeah. really understanding that you, you can't love yourself in slices, whether your dreams broke or not. You know, it's God doesn't love us more because of X, Y, and Z accomplishments. God doesn't love me more or less because I don't own a house yet. God doesn't love you more or less because you are divorced. It, it, is, it is a fundamental question. Do I believe that God loves me? You know, God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Okay, well, when I was young, I used to think like, okay, well, I'm kind of one of the whole, right? I'm part of the whole. But do I believe that God so intimately, specially, specifically is committed to champion, championing my dreams? Do I believe that God is, is advocating for my life and my hopes and my future? And if you can't answer yes to that, it's really hard to keep dreaming because, yes. you know, you're essentially um, trying to trudge your way through every chapter of your life. And I don't think that's the way God intended it. It's a co-creation process. So section two is really all about asking the question, you know, who am I? Who's am I? But also, am, am I willing to co-create with Christ? Am I willing to let go of who I was supposed to be and, and accept God's invitation to, to dream with him and to maybe believe that his dreams for me are even more amazing and more abundant and more fulfilling than anything I could have dreamed up on my own. Sure. And believe me when I say that I'm still wrestling with God around this one. So, yeah. What's your middle name? Jacob, Jacob. which means, oh. you know, the one who wrestles with God. Um, so, yeah, I'm right there in the ring. Sure. Well, everybody that hasn't wrestled with God, raise your hand. I don't see any hands go up. So, uh, you've got a, a really interesting chapter on emotions, and you encourage us to recognize the reality of, of our emotions as they relate to our dreams and the need to be in touch with our emotions, and yet somehow to stay steadfast through our emotions. So, Tom, would you talk about the interplay between acknowledging and staying steadfast and what it means to us? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that so much of, of um, our world is 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 in a really interesting interesting space right now because if you look across social media channels linkedin um facebook instagram there is this fundamental shift in in vulnerability that has taken place in the last five years so prior to COVID, i would not say that anyone really shared their emotions you know with kind of pride, right? Like, okay. this is really my vulnerable comments. This is what I'm going through, right? And then in COVID, all of a sudden, you just saw everyone opening up and sharing um, about their mental health struggle or about getting laid off or about taking, you know, time off to kind of recenter themselves. And so there's just been this wave of, um, of, of people realizing that they wanted to share their emotions. And so I actually bring that up because I think there's a balance between what we share 
in public and also what we are able to process alone with God. Um, this is a really hard lesson that I've had to learn is, you know, have I prayed about it more than I've talked about it? And so I share that because in the public sphere, we can share anything we really want now and people will applaud us for it. But have you gotten alone with God? Have you shared your most intimate fears and anxieties and bitterness and anger and injustice and questions with, with the Lord? And then have you filtered those emotions with truth? And specifically, have you filtered those emotions with God's truth of what God thinks about you? Um, and this is a daily practice, right? This is not just something you do once and then you're like, okay, great. I've worked through all of my emotions and my anger and now I'm ready to move on. Um, you know, this is a daily, a daily practice. So, you know, I think those emotions are to remain steadfast and to, to not be moved is, is to realize that in the wilderness, your emotions are going to, are going to be up and down. You're going to have a lot of highs and lows. Most of life is lived in the mundane. Most of life is lived in the ordinary. It's not lived in these high highs. And so giving emotions their proper place is really important because if we don't do that, then we may end up feeling like God is against us and start to believe the lies that were forgotten or forsaken. Yes. Well, you, another phrase that you, you have is you can't love people in slices. And you mentioned slices earlier. It's just so, it's just so an inter- such an interesting way to, to think about it. Uh, where did you get that phrase? I think that's, a, that's an interesting story. And, and what does it mean to you? Well, this is probably going to surprise my listeners, but uh, if you've seen the movie First Night with Richard Gere and Sean Connery, you'll know this phrase. Uh, Sean Connery, who uh, I grew up watching, of course, in James Bond, when he played James Bond, my grandmother had a great affinity for for, uh, Sean Connery, and probably because he was a very handsome man. But, um, you know, in the movie, he's just making this comment to Guinevere, and he's just saying, you know, he's talking about love and the the reality of, of them marrying each other because he's quite old and he's saying, you know, are you sure, are you sure you want to marry me? And, and uh, she goes, yeah, well, I, I accept you. I accept you fully. And, and he goes, well, you can't love people in slices. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it always kind of stuck with me. And because I thought, you know, that's a really great way of thinking about your, your own self, right? You, if you have a piece of pie and you only love certain slices and you're like, well, I hate this 20% of me and I love this 80%. Um, and I'm not, I'm not talking about like, well, I don't like my nose or I don't like my ears. They're too big. I'm talking about the slices of your life, the slices of the parts of your life that you look back and you think, I really wish I could cut that part out of my book. I I really wish I could rip out that chapter. I really wish I could redline, you know, those words that I said that I regret. No, that, that is a part of your, your life and your story. And you don't have a blank journal. You can't rip out the pages of your life. You can't cut out the slices of you that you don't like, but what you can do is get in your story and choose to accept that even those messy broken, ugly parts of you and your life and your relationships or whatever has happened, that is a part of God's 
redemptive work in your life. And he has already loved you fully and accepted you fully even before you made those mistakes. And so that's what I mean by, you know, you can't love people in slices. Yes. Yeah. It's a, it's a terrific line and a terrific concept. But in that chapter, you also encourage us to show our, our raw selves to each other. That sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? Yeah, it's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it does help build community and, and, and closeness. You, you also have the image of a refining fire, um, which really comes out of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. And it applies today. So how do, we, how do we think of refining when we think about our dreams and our hopes and our aspirations? Yeah, so I, I have to turn to the book of Job for this. In Job 23, and I'm just going to quote directly because I can't take the words of Scripture in, you know, paraphrase here. But um, in Job 23, Job is, is like, where is God? Where is God? I'm in the fire. I'm in the flames. I'm being, you know... <laughs> Basically, all the parts of his life is just burning away. And, and you know, when you're in the fire and you think about the formation of gold, and I talk about this in my book, the the way that gold is made is through a, a, a fire, pro, you know, fire process. It is through a burning process, and it burns away the dross so that the gold can come out pure and that the gold can come out um, refined. And no one... No one likes that refining process. It's really painful. Um, but Job says, he says, um, he says, behold, I go forward and he is not there and backwards, but I don't perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I don't behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him. But he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I've kept his way and I have not turned aside. So when, when God is, you know, Job is talking to God and he's talking about, okay, God knows the way that I'm going. He knows this journey. And when he has tried me, right, God tests us. God um, puts us in, in that, that, that refining fire. And Job realizes that all these trials in his life, losing everything, losing his family, losing his yeah. fortune, it is a refining fire, but it is burning away the dross. It is burning away the things that he has held to and clung to. And when he comes forth from his trial, he's going to come forth as gold. And I want to do that. I want to come forth from my trials as gold. I want to know that on the other side of my, my heartache and my suffering, um, I will be standing as pure gold. And if you think about it that way, it's a, it's a pretty holy, sacred thing to to be refined by fire oh yeah yeah it sounds difficult and it is but the end result the end result is to be desired so in section three you talk about flourishing in unexpected places in ways that we might not have envisioned one of the interesting uh, chapters is about boundaries and you went for a run when you were in kenya uh, and there was something in the book about not following instructions, and then you met some natives there, and those natives weren't people. And would you would you kind of explain that story? Sure. Yeah. So uh, you know they say never run alone. Um, I was living in Kenya, and we had a, a trail 
close to campus at this massive, you know, boarding school up in the mountains. And we would periodically see monkeys and, you know, we, we had monkeys often on campus and we're always pretty, uh, you know, we were okay. These monkeys were not that big of a deal. Now baboons are a different story. And I had been told and cautioned, you know, be careful. Don't go out on that trail by yourself because sometimes at dusk around dinner time, uh, the baboons will come down from the trees and, and make their way towards wherever they're going. So I'm running along and, you know, I don't really have a cell phone. It's not like this is, uh, this is back in 2009. I had a small, uh, Nokia phone and I'm running along and, and all of a sudden up ahead, I see a little uh, pack of baboons and I slowed down and I was pretty scared and didn't quite know what to do. So I stopped and I just kind of listened and waited and they looked at me and I looked at them and, and uh, I said, well, I think I'm going to turn around. Well, no sooner had I turned around that I saw that I had been flanked by baboons and there's baboons not only in front of me, but now behind me. And there were male baboons, which is even more dangerous because they were very much seeking to protect the young. Um, you know, and, and it probably was no more than five or 10 seconds of me closing my eyes and saying my prayers and picking up a rock and wondering if I was going to lose my life to a pack of baboons. But, um, you know, the, the end result is, you know, I'm still here. Uh, but in that moment, I, <laughs> I really realized that sometimes when we are so desperately wanting something, we sort of forget that that the boundary lines of our life, right? That, that there's certain lines in place in our lives that God puts that he's a shepherd and he's protecting us. Those boundary lines are there for a reason. And they're often to give us a framework for, for flourishing. This is, it's kind of like the notion of a sandbox and God placing us in a sandbox and saying, this is where I've put you. This is where I want you to grow. This is the field that I want you to cultivate. This is the garden that I want you to attend to. And, and oftentimes we don't want to be in those boundary lines. We want X, we want Y, we want something else. And God's like, well, no, this is where I've put you. And I've put you here for a reason. And it's to protect you and to help you to grow right where you are, um, to bloom, you know, where you're planted. So I, I would often refer back to that story as I, uh, as I thought about my, my year in Kenya, but yeah, watch out for the baboons. Yes. Well, the, 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 the boundary of the baboon, I just can imagine this. I had a um, similar experience with a black bear in Great Smoky Mountain National Park once, but, uh, it was just one bear and I wasn't flanked. So, um, I don't think God was teaching me that much there, but in your conclusion of your book, you've got four promises you kind of beyond your dreams uh how how would you talk about those four what would you like for us to know is that as our takeaway today yeah so i was writing the book and really thought i had finished it and i just sort of felt, felt like you know there's these there's these bigger narratives there's these bigger kingdom promises and and sort of um, jewels, if you will, of, of how God sees us and sees our lives and time and space and the, this world versus the next. And so those four things are our time. God sees things outside of earthly time. He sees the bigger picture, uh, home, 
you know, the God goes to prepare a place for us. And that this is not our home. We're on a pilgrimage. Um, three, big love. This concept came from a friend. Um, and big love is, is just really this, this very big notion that God's love is so much more expansive than we could ever realize. And we get to be a part of, of God's heart of love for others. And then fourth um, is that God is the answer himself. And so, you know, those four things are, are kind of the container, if you will, of all the other chapters. Sure. And then the, the, in the fourth one, the answer itself, talk, if you would, a little bit about C.S. Lewis's Till We Have Faces and Job and how the answer came to mean so much to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if you've never read C.S. Lewis, I highly recommend that to anyone listening. And I know there's lo- listeners here who love C.S. Lewis. Um, Till We Have Faces was a book I read in advanced literature in senior year. And of course, now I've read it four or five times and I've you know, always pick up something new when I read it. Um, but what I want to talk about here for a second is just the, the reality that not all the questions in our life will be fully answered. There is a passage at the end of Hebrews that says, you know, some went to the promised land not receiving what they had, had hoped for in this life. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in trying to understand and explain um, our circumstances and figure them out and say, well, if I could just understand why this person left me, if I could just understand why this, this, this job opportunity fell through, if I could just understand why I couldn't have children or why God um, didn't have me get married until I was older, right? These are all things that we we try to make sense of the world. We are born with a desire to find the answer mm. and, and to explain to people and to ourselves, well, okay, if I could just understand why this is happening, then I'll be okay. And so the character Oriel, if you don't know the story of Tilhia Faces, it's based on this um, Greek mythology about Cupid and Psyche. But uh, Oriel is sort of the, the ugly uh, sister who is, is not the, shall we say, the beautiful, blessed sister who seems to be blessed by the gods and um, you know, Oriel has this deep love for um, her sister and and her sister is taken away from her. And so there's a lot of injustice that Oriel has experienced from the Greek gods. And throughout the course of her life, she she's veiled. She has this veil over her face and she's kind of ashamed and hiding and feels this great weight of injustice and anger and bitterness towards the gods. And so she goes in to make her complaint to the gods. And she she's droning on and on and on about how, how all these horrible things have happened to her. And she's demanding, essentially, if you apply it to, to the Lord, she's demanding that the Lord gives her an answer and that the Lord, ex, you know, essentially explains what's happened. And she's craving justice in the courtroom. And all of a sudden she looks down at her scroll and she realizes what a fool she's been because she's reading her complaint over and over and over again. And in many ways, the book of Job is just like that. Job is pouring out his complaint and his anger and he's demanding justice and understanding of why God has um, so cruelly taken everything away. And at the end of her complaint, 
the gods ask her, have you, are you done yet? Have you said, have you said everything that you wanted to say? And she realizes that in her complaint, you know, the silence is the answer that God himself is the answer that before his face, all questions die away. And before his face, nothing can stand of her questions and her demand for injustice because, because God himself is the answer and that no words could suffice. And so what my encouragement is, as you're reading this chapter is to be thinking, if you don't get an explanation of why certain things have happened in your life, are you willing to live with the reality that you may never know? And that at the end of your life, um, even though it's painful, that you'll be able to stand before the face of God and say, I don't need explanations because you yourself are my answer. And I'm not saying I've gotten there entirely, but I, I do think that that is the right path towards peace. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's so, so rich to bring those two together because, you know, in, in studies of crucible experiences, the difficult things that, that people deal with for a Christian job is is the book, you the go-to book, the, the book of that, that answers or at least contemplates the questions. And in the end, Job says, my Redeemer mm-hmm. liveth. He's, he, uh, he comes to this understanding. And then you've got Oriole, uh, just, just mm-hmm. in such an intriguing book. I know I, I, as I was reading through it, I was trying to say, well, what, where is Lewis going? What is this? And finally, at the end, I wanted to go back and just read it again. Mm-hmm. It, it's, so, it's so compelling. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea of God as answer it's so incredible. That really touches my soul and heart. I hope uh, anybody mm-hmm. that's listening, just God is the answer, and and mm-hmm. it's beyond even what we can understand. And I think our understanding can grow. We can grow into it. We can walk into it. But it's uh, it's in the mirror dimly now, and I think our understanding will be less dim, and finally we'll cross over. You had an interesting line, uh, Emily, about crossing over and hoping mm-hmm. that you will go with, and you will certainly go with joy. And I thought that was, that was a wonderful way of kind of wrapping up your thought that you're going to cross over someday into that new place in a, in a fully wild new Eden with joy. So thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. Is there anything else about the book that you, you know, we've, we, we by, by no means have covered the book. There, there's 40 chapters. I thought this would be a great Lenten devotional book because there's 40 just happens to be the numbers of days of, of Lent. And that may be why the Holy Spirit led you to do those last four chapters, just to make it 40. It's a, it's a biblical number. But what, what yeah. else would you, would you, or what takeaways maybe would you like for people to have about the book? Well, I just, I'm so thankful for anyone listening today just to be reflecting on, on these things. And, and I would like to just say with you that, um, you know, one, your dream matters Two, vocalize your dream. Have you told someone, have you told someone what you are hoping for or your wild idea that you have in your head? Have you thought about sharing that? And three, um, are you willing to believe that, you know, you, this is not all about you. And what I mean by that is so much of I think the brokenness of our lives, God doesn't intend to make you suffer in the corner. Um, you know, the sufferings of our lives are intended um, to, 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 to bring new life and to bring new hope into this world. And um, 
again, from the place of, of Christ's death on the cross came new life for everyone. And so, you know, if you are in a position right now where you feel the weight of, of your broken story, I would just encourage you to, to realize maybe you'll end up counseling other people who are walking through divorce. Maybe in your own singleness, you'll realize that you're able to foster children and help um, young mom, young single moms with, with small kids because they need, they need community and they need help. Maybe your failed startup will eventually um, help you be positioned to, to train others on how to not make the same mistakes that you made. I mean, there's, there's so many things in our lives where we have to just recognize this is not just about me. This is about dreaming with community and for community. And there are ways that we can just laugh and smile and say, you know what? Yep. I failed. This has happened, but this has happened for a purpose. And perhaps if I'm willing to step out of my shell I can remember um, that that everyone's you know trying to move in the wild or Eden together. So, vocalize your dream, tell someone, um, you know, be excited about the good things that God is doing in your life, and just and watch Him work. Well, Emily, if someone wanted you to speak at their church or to a group or just to meet with you individually, how would they get in contact with you? Sure, you can visit my website, uh, which is emilyjjansen.com. E-M-I-L-Y-J-J-A-N-S-E-N.com. I'm also on Instagram at um, Emily J. Jansen. So you can find me there and there's a there's a button to contact me and I'd be happy to chat with you. Okay, great. And Emily, t- tell us a little bit about the Emily Jacob uh, agency and, and the services that you provide. Sure. So I recently started my own LLC and I was very excited to do that. It is a marketing, branding, and strategic communications agency. I provide consulting services to nonprofits, to private um, private business owners, and to for-profits as well as startups in a variety of marketing and branding um, work. I can um, provide work for you at an hourly rate, or if there's a bigger project that you're working on that you need someone for, I have a whole crew of um, friends and subcontractors that I can outsource to you for various specific uh, deliverables and projects. So yeah, it's just something new. I'm really excited about it and taking it one day at a time. Great. Well, that's a, that's exciting. So we wish you the best in, in all your ventures and that uh, you'll, you'll impact people's hopes and dreams in a, in a really great and positive way. And I, and I know you will. I just see, I see that in everyone that, that's read your book or been around you talking about it. The book is A Wilder Eden, Wilder Eden. I'm, I'm slipping on that a little bit. How to Keep Dreaming in a World of Disappointments by Emily Jansen. Available on Amazon, and where, where else can they find the book? It's on Kindle as well, so if you would like to do that. I'm also recording the audio book this summer, so stay tuned for that. Um, and if you would like a signed copy, please um, drop me a note at emilyjjansen at g- gmail.com, and I'd be happy to get you a signed copy if you're, if you're in Austin. So I'm not yet shipping to Canada and globally, um, but working on it. so <laughs> It's coming. It's a global issue. Well, Emily, I can't thank you enough for, for being with us today and sharing your heart and just sharing what God's done and, and what I think he's set up to be done through your, through your work. So thank you again for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you, Larry. And thanks to everyone who listened. We're um, definitely praying for you. Great. Thank you, Emily. 
And to our audience, I want to say thank you again for spending time with us on Hill Country Institute Live. You can listen to this program as well as past programs on your podcast app at Hill Country Institute Live and on our website, hillcountryinstitute.org. There's also video on the website and audio from our conferences on faith and culture topics. And it's a wide range of topics from art to science to vocation. That's pretty much the alphabet, so maybe we'll just stop there. But there's many more. You can also donate to support this ministry on our website or by calling 512-680-7993. That's 512-680-7993. And remember, wherever God calls you, share the heart, love, and mind of Jesus Christ. 